it's like the what and the why, right? The hard data gives you the what, the stories tell you the why. There hasn't been a great way to combine both of them in, in this industry really well. And that's what I think we're really bringing to, to the market today. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Anish Dewan, co-founder and CEO of Knit, which helps brands understand the next generation of consumers by empowering Gen Z and millennials to share their thoughts over video. A serial entrepreneur at a young age, Anish is passionate about solving the world's most challenging problems through technology and partnerships. In ninth grade, he worked with an NGO and a team at MIT to install a desalination device in a village in Haiti. In 10th grade, he launched his first company, Feed a Friend, a cause marketing agency. He also spearheaded a project bringing solar-powered lights to the local school and 100-plus residents of a rural Haitian village. By the time Anish was in senior high school, he founded and launched Perpix, which later became Knit. He's an alumni of the Techstars 2019 Accelerator Farm to Fork program. Anish, welcome to the show. I'm really interested in talking to you today. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for having me, and thanks for that great introduction. Yeah, you're welcome. So, gosh, there are so many things I want to talk to you about. You know, you, I, I think I want to start with being a serial entrepreneur from a young age. What, yeah. what, what was the genesis of this and the impetus behind this for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Carol, it really started for me. I was fortunate enough to, to um, have been accepted into this program in my high school called uh, the Global Health Fellows. Um, so we spent the entire academic year digging into these major challenges, looking at everything from tuberculosis in China to, you know, the smallpox epidemic. Um, and then we spent our summers actually doing more hands-on stuff. So you mentioned a few of the things that we ran. Uh, we would travel to Haiti, we traveled to China, um, and uh, actually got some hands-on experience. So I've always been really interested, and in, it started with that program about how do you tackle some of the world's biggest problems? Um, and this program really gave me an opportunity to, to do that. So that's where it all started for me is, is digging into these major problems around the world and then breaking it down to small kind of bite-sized chunks um, and actually actioning on it uh, to, to go out and try to solve some of these things. But what is it in who you are and who you be that has you interested in that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think at the end of the day, I just really think about myself as a problem solver. Um, when I when I see something that I'm really passionate about, I want to try to figure out how to how to you know actually implement it and solve it. Um, so I think that was always kind of something that I'd noticed about myself throughout my life, even from an early age. Um, and once I kind of found a really good channel to to um, execute on that, um, whether it was through some of these projects and now through through the work that we're doing at Knit. Um, I've, I've always just had a lot of fun doing it. So it's just something that brings me a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, as I said in, in the introduction, I, I really want you to tell me more about what it means to help brands understand the next generation of consumers by empowering Gen Z and millennials to share their thoughts over video. Like, what's the problem you're solving? Yeah, absolutely. Well, very simply, the problem we're solving is that the ways brands are talking to their consumers today, I believe, is fundamentally broken. So if you think about this next generation, millennials, even Gen Zers, right, we're transitioning to a world that is digital first. Right. Um, and because it's digital first, my generation especially, as cliche as it sounds, our perceptions, attitudes, behaviors are changing at the speed of the internet, right? The next viral TikTok. But if you think about how brands are talking to their consumers today, it is definitely not built for this world, right? They're using things like focus groups and surveys. Like a focus group, for example, can take months, cost tens of thousands of dollars to talk to a dozen or so customers. So what we're trying to solve for brands is in order to keep up with this digital native generation, you have to have the ability to talk and understand your consumers sure. instantly. And that's what NIT is all about. Um, so that's kind of the opportunity we saw there uh, being part of Gen Z and we built it to solve that. And did you discover the problem because nobody was marketing to you properly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of stumbled into the problem yeah. to be completely honest. So as you mentioned, I'm one of my, uh, I guess my first startup ever was, uh, was Feed a Friend, which was a Gen Z cost marketing agency. So that was very much kind of a, a project I was working on throughout high school and a little bit in college. And yeah, that's where I, I would say I discovered that problem, right? In, in Peter Friend's case, we were working with mostly regional kind of small local businesses, mostly restaurants, helping them market to Gen Z. But then with Perpix, which is the second startup I started mm -hmm. uh, that kind of led to Knit, um, it was some of the world's best and biggest brands. And we realized that whether you're a marketer at a you know restaurant with five locations or you're the largest food manufacturer in the world, they're all running into very similar issues when it comes to talking to this younger audience and understanding this younger audience. Interesting. So in, in talking to the younger audience, are we talking B2C? Yeah, most of our customers today are B2C. Um, we do have a lot of B2B or we're starting to do more work in B2B um, because I'm sure as you can imagine, um, everyone is now with Gen Z kind of being in that at least the adult 18 all, all the way up to 25, you have a lot of Gen Z folks entering the workforce as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, as, as we talked about, you started Perpix uh, when you were in high school. Mm -hmm. And then that, and I want, I'd like to hear the story of the, you know, pivot or change to knit, right? So you founded the company yeah. in 2017. Um, and between the two companies, you've taken about $5 million and you're in seed. Mm -hmm. So tell me about, you know, Perpix and how that, you know, how that moved into Knit. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like many brands, we were pretty, pretty um, impacted by the pandemic and it was a blessing in disguise for us. So um, basically with Perpix, what we had built was a really large network of what we call nano influencers. Um, so people might have heard of it now. Back then, I think we were one of the first ones to do this, but a nano influencer is pretty much your everyday person, people with less than 2,000 followers on Instagram or social media. And we had built a large network of Gen Z nano influencers. What we got really good at doing was helping brands kind of drive traffic to physical locations because of how tight-knit that nano influencers network was, right? So if you live in LA, for example, most of the people following you in LA are probably, or that are following you are probably living in LA as well, if you have these small followings. So 
what happened is over the pandemic, obviously, that completely upended our business, right? People were not going into their local Whole Foods as much. They were in delivery, getting most of their things delivered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This uh, kind of forced us to kind of take a step back because we had a lot of customers that were like, we, we don't really have a need for this type right. of uh, platform anymore. Um, and as we took a step back, it really, we, we went to the customer and we said, what problems do you have today? How can we solve it? And the one thing we heard over and over again is we have no idea what customer behavior is going to look like tomorrow, let alone the next month or two months from now with all the uncertainty in the pandemic. And that's how we stumbled upon, um, you know, the idea for Knit, which is, well, everyone is using video on social media to market themselves uh, in the products that they were doing with Perpix. Why not use that same medium video? to gather feedback instead to help answer some of these questions that they have. Anish, can you give me a, a, an actual real life, a real world example of a customer that you have and how they're, how they're using this and how they're marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we're fortunate to work with some incredible brands today, brands like JBL, the WNBA, um, uh, do a lot of work in, in sports uh, with, with teams like the Minnesota Twins and the San Antonio Spurs as well. Um, so one of our customers, their consumer electronics company, um, they'll concept test a lot of their marketing on our platform, right? So um, we actually did an entire report on this. You can check it out on our website, but um, it is really hard to market to Gen Z. Um, they will call you out on your BS right. um, really fast. Um, <laughs> the entitled so, uh, generation. The best... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, we, we work with this brand uh, to kind of gut check their content, right? So before they launch an Instagram ad, before they launch new um, um, photos for a new product, whatever it might be, um, they can get a quick gut check and see, is this resonating with Gen Z? Um, are we missing the mark here? Are we re- or is it really engaging them? Um, and there was no way to do that before really well, right? Because it's really hard to go out and talk to 300 people. Um, but through our platform, you can upload that content and get video feedback from, you know, 150, 300 people within a, within a couple hours, couple days. Oh, so you're really, yeah, you're really kind of doing the analytics on the back end of this for them. Exactly. Yeah. We're helping brands not only get access to this generation, but then gather that feedback and turn that feedback into insights uh, through our technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, so who, how do you find your, I mean, where do your prospects come from? Yeah, absolutely. So when we started the company, it was uh, very much kind of uh, boots on the ground. Um, So we went out, we recruited our first couple thousand users uh, pretty manually, actually, uh, through things like, um, you know, referral marketing events on on primarily college campuses uh, and then social media marketing. As we've grown now, we also now partner with third parties that have existing communities of people. And what we've really focused on more and more is the technology driving this, right? So our long-term vision is it doesn't matter if you're talking to Gen Zers on our platform or if you're talking to employees at your company, whatever it might be, whoever that community is, we just want to help you gather video from that community and analyze that data uh, because we think video is going to be the primary form. It already is. It's 82% of internet traffic today but the primary form of how people communicate on the internet more and more. That's so interesting. Why do you think that is? I think it's because the internet, I think is just going through another cycle um, where it's maturing even more, right? So if you look at how the internet has evolved, 
started off with text and numbers. That's how it's primarily been for the last couple of years. But video and multimedia in general, including VR and AR, I mean, everyone from Facebook is changing their name to, to the metaverse now. Mm. Um, it's just so much more rich. You can get so much more out of it. Um, so, you know, it's kind of that old saying, a picture's worth a thousand words. So I think we're just kind of in the next phase of that. Yeah. Interesting. What's the competitive nature of your business? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, we're entering the market at a very unique time where there's still brands out there that are doing things like focus groups or some version of that, maybe a more digital version. So I would say a lot of very few people that we talk to are still doing in person, although we're still seeing that. Uh, but maybe they're doing things like online Zoom focus groups, right? Um, so I think we're competing against some of these maybe more of a 20th, 21st century version of a focus group, but still at the end of the day, very similar kind of uh, similar pain points, right? You still have to go find them. You still have to run these. You still have to analyze this. Um, so that's most of the time how we're bumping up. When we're talking to a brand, it's really, you know, we understand you're not doing this in person anymore. You might be doing it virtually, but how are you going to talk to 200, 300 people at a time? How are you going to analyze all that video data? Um, and so the market understands the need for this, but there's still very few platforms out there that are are um, helping them kind of build the infrastructure to analyze that today. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Do you have a do you have a sweet spot of size of company that's you know a prospect for you? Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're today we're focused mostly on mid market enterprise brands. Um, you know, we look at it a couple different ways, whether it's employee size or revenue, um, but Fair, uh, squarely, we we're mostly working with kind of B two C mid market mid market and enterprise customers. Uh, we found that they can kind of uh, uh, they they kind of have the biggest need for this because they've gotten to the point in their business where consumer insights is really difficult to gather. I mean, if you're still a startup with you know a couple thousand dollars in revenue, you can go and call your customers. But obviously, the largest brands in the world don't necessarily have that access to pick up the phone and call, you know, five or 10 of their customers, or at least they, they don't do it pretty often. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I said, in, in, uh, introducing you, you, um, founded Perpix in high school. You went off and spent two years in college and dropped out <laughs> as, as we found many, many founders have done, or certainly enough of them have done, you know, what was it about, you know, being 20 years old and, and, thinking, yeah, I can drop out of school, do this full time. I mean, I've never, I mean, yes, you've been an entrepreneur younger, but you know, this is, this is a different game now, right? Institutional capital and so on and so forth. So, you know, really tell me a little bit about that journey. And, you know, is that just Gen Z arrogance? I can do this. <laughs> I think they're definitely, I don't know if I would call it arrogance. I would call it, uh, I was definitely very naive though. I, thought it was going to be a lot easier and faster to You're the second person today who told me exactly that I have to say <laughs> who did the same thing basically started it out of college but same thing yeah, yeah I would I I I know I would have probably still done it if I knew how hard it would have been um but I definitely would have thought about it a little bit more um I think the biggest thing for me Carol is it's just came I, I approached it from two different things I remember kind of writing this out um and as I was making this decision it was decision I didn't take too lightly. Um, the first piece was kind of like the risk reward for it. You know, at the end of the day, um, I knew I could always go back and get a degree. Um, you know, that's that college will always be there. But I knew that if this was something that, you know, 
ended up being very successful. Not only would it be an incredible kind of uh, um, learning experience for me, but could also be a pretty, you know, life-changing event. Um, so um, that was one area. Then the second and most important one for me was just uh, I was having so much fun doing it. So I actually took a, I took a semester off, um, took a gap semester and just worked on the business full time and just loved it. Um, it was very difficult, but I had more fun doing that than I ever did in class. Um, so, uh, and I'm still fortunate, you know, four, three, four years later, I still have, I mean, although there's some stressful days and it's still overall, I'm just having an incredible amount of fun doing it. So, um, that was kind of what convinced me at the end of the day is like, you know, the risk reward here, um, plus it's just so much more fun. I'm much more happy. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to kind of wake up and, and get to work every day. Um, mm. so, um, that was, that was when I knew that this is something that I should at least give a shot. Um, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, you know, as a first time founder, you know, and CEO, what would you say have been some of your biggest challenges around leadership and running a company and running people, running human beings? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm still really early in my journey today. Um, we have about a dozen or so, uh, uh, folks on the team. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm realizing as we, as we grow and we're growing pretty quickly, uh, we launched it, um, mid last year. Um, so it's been about 12 months, we've grown about four or five X, uh, mm -hmm. year over year so far. Um, it's been incredible 12 months for us, but, uh, as we're growing, I, I I'm finding myself having to kind of go through the different stages of what I think uh, it, it means to be a leader. So going from kind of the, the, you know, on the ground and, and kind of, uh, you know, kind of the IC individual, individual contributor and running team, uh, running the show to, um, you know, building out a team and managing people and enabling people to, to, to do their best work. So I think that that transition has definitely been really exciting. I kind of see my role today and, and, you know, over the next couple of years is kind of how do we bring on the best people to our company? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I line on what uh, successful, like what success means, what that North Star is for us, and then get out of the way. I think that's that's kind of how I see my job, now, which is very different from when we were starting when I was still making all of the calls and uh, sales calls and, and, you know, running product and all of that um, at the same time. Yeah. And, and I, that's, listen, that's very common among, you know, anyone who is an entrepreneur at building a company, right? I mean, we all start with doing everything ourselves, <laughs> you know, and then you have to get to the point of, okay, so I, I can't do everything myself anymore. You know, what do I, what do I need to offload? And what does that Absolutely. look like? Right. And, and finding the right people to do that for me. And, you know, and sometimes it's, it's as simple as it, which isn't actually that simple. Um, you know, hiring the right executive assistant, <laughs> you know, which I have. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, e even though I am an expert, you know, and have done what I've done for so many years, um, you know, I hired somebody and then she realized after, I don't know, two or four weeks that she really just, even though she thought she had the time to do it, she didn't, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And, you know, so then that, you know, puts you back to where you are, but whatever that is, um, the importance of being able to let go to your sales, as you said, right. And, and let them, let them run with it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also just like finding the right people is so, and so important. Yep. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, 
uh, culture fit, as well as just being a good fit for the role. Um, it's very difficult to work at a startup where there's no playbook for anything at the early stages. Um, you're kind of building it as you go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it takes a certain type of person to, uh, not only be comfortable, but actually thrive in that kind of ambiguous situation. There is. So let, let's talk a little bit more about that then since you're, since you're bringing it up now, right? So you said you've got about a dozen employees, you know, what, what would you say, um, what's the, how would you define your culture? Yeah, I think we have, I mean, we, we obviously have our different values, um, that, that, uh, we kind of abide by here at NIT. I think to sum it up though, uh, I think two things really stand out about our, our team. Uh, first is like, we really do look for people at this stage, especially that are, are comfortable operating in ambiguity. Um, mm -hmm. because yeah, I as I mentioned, yeah. you know, with the level of growth and, mm -hmm. and as you're kind of scaling this, you have to kind of build that playbook mm -hmm. as you go. Mm -hmm. And what worked six months ago does not work in the next six months. And that's actually really good. Thing. Uh, that's something that we, we actually strive for. So that's when, you know, you're growing. Um, that's the right. second piece there is, um, kind of this ability to kind of, uh, this, uh, test and learn and repeat. Right. Um, and what we, what I mean by that is, you know, we're, we're all about, you know, go try something out. And if it works, that's great. If it doesn't, are we learning from it? So there's no wrong decision. There's just a learning from it yeah, or it. it was the right decision. Right. So, um, it's, it's kind of getting to the, the best way to kind of get to what works is actually trying a bunch of different things and that doesn't work. And that's, that's not a bad thing. So I think the, the, the definition of failure is, is very different for a startup or especially for our startup. We try to build a culture where failure is actually good because it gets you one step closer to, to understanding what the right way to do it or the right answer might be. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really great. It's insightful. In fact. Um, so that's the culture, you know, in, in hiring this first dozen people, what kind of mistakes have you made? Yeah. Because I, I can't um, imagine you hired 12 and they were all worked. Yeah. So how many people have you actually hired that you ended up with 12? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think we you know we've made plenty of mistakes. Right. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, we found an amazing team uh, despite that. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think one of the biggest ones is, is really, um, I, one of the biggest ones is, is making sure that you know, because in some cases this role can change or evolve really quickly, making sure that you have people on the team that can change and evolve with the business as it right. scales. So, mm -hmm. you know, some of our earliest hires, um, like our first hire, um, she's just done an incredible job. She's the role she, we brought her on to do is very different from the role she's doing today. Um, and, you know, especially for the first hires, they're all part of the founding team. You know, it's, it's, all of our companies and we're working so hard to build it. So making sure you have those type of people that can evolve with the company. And I think that's true of the founders too. That's true of my co-founder and, and myself as well Is you know, if we can't evolve quickly with the business, then, then we have to find someone that, that can do that role better. Um, or we evolve with the business. So I think having people that are like comfortable and flexible to either scale with the business or be honest about, Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I might not be the best person for that. We should look for someone else is so important. Um, so that's something that, that we, 
I think have done really well in some cases where we brought on folks that have that ability to grow um, with the business. And in other cases, uh, they might not. And that's totally fine um, as long as we build for that um, and, and hire for that and build out for that. Anish, tell me how you determine uh, whether somebody's going to be comfortable with that, you know, I mean, what, what I know is required in a startup, right? The, you know, the ambiguity, the bob and weave, the, you know, where, where you are today may not be what you're exactly doing, you know, three to six months from now. Yeah. Because people can blow sunshine up your skirt. Yeah. I think it's really, it's honestly really difficult to suss out. Um, yeah, it and, is. and I, I don't have a perfect mm-hmm. answer to this. I think one of the things that I've noticed is a good indicator for success though, is people that have been like that kind of have that entrepreneur mentality, right? That, you know, they have like a side hustle or, um, you know, they have some side projects that they're always working on. Um, and they kind of have that entrepreneurial mindset where, you know, that they can take something from scratch or basically from scratch and kind of figure it out. Um, so I kind of, I kind of look for that figure it out mentality. I think, you know, one, they have to be a good fit for the culture, fit That's for the current the most role, important but thing. Yeah. Yeah. But if they have that kind of uh, figured out mentality, I think that's, that's kind of the whole package there, which is really difficult to, to actually know if, if someone does without actually working with them for a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are there particular questions you ask to try to suss some of that stuff out? So, I mean, we, we ask a lot of behavioral questions, I think in, in the interview, um, you know, especially as we get kind of to the later stages. Yeah. Um, you know, some of my, some of my favorite ones are asking things like, you know, what, like, what is your ideal workday look like? How do you mm-hmm. handle stress? Things Very like good. that where, yeah. again, it's, you're not going to be able to, I mean, like you said, people can kind of just say something and then not actually follow through on it, but at least you get a, a understanding of peek behind the curtain. Um, I really like kind of uh, talking about like how they deal with very overwhelming situations um, and like, how do you, how do you think through those type of situations, because um, that gives you great insight into, you know, how would they right. deal with, you know, not knowing how to do something and kind of having to figure it out. Yeah, that's really fantastic. I love to hear that. What would you say are the biggest challenges that you're facing within your industry? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges I would say within within this industry itself is, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of data out there. Like there's a lot you can get data on anything today, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much. Right. Um, but there's not a lot of customer stories around it. So I, I think one of the things that we're trying to bring to the industry is that voice of the consumer. I think, you know, we we're coming from this over the last couple of years where like data was king numbers were everything. But I, I don't think sometimes I think there's a lack of like humanizing. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I love most about our platform is the ability to humanize the numbers, right? Because on our platform, you can ask both typical survey questions, but also get this video. Mm-hmm. You have this really unique ability to say, this is what we're seeing. These are the hard numbers. Like 90% of people said this, but don't just take our word for it. Take you know, to listen to this human talk about mm-hmm. this exact mm-hmm. thing, listen to your customer talk about this exact thing. So I think that's one of the things that we're trying to bring to the market. And I think, 
is is slightly broken with with the industry as well, or not broken, but at least is is something I think the industry is lacking. Um, is really humanizing uh, the the people behind the numbers. Do you think your competitors are facing the same challenge? I think there's a lot of people um, that are realizing this and are recognizing this. Um, so I think more important than our competitors is like, how are our brands thinking about this? How are our partners thinking about this? Um, like, can we solve the problem that our partners face? Um, and, uh, I think there's a lot in the industry today where, especially at the executive level, people want to hear human stories, um, just as much, if not more than they want to see the data behind it. They, you know, they always say, uh, at least I always say, and I've, I've heard it many times elsewhere, you know, facts tell, stories sell, right? Yeah. And that's, there's, there's, it's, there's so much truth to that. I mean, you know, facts are great to, you know, back up stuff with, but, you know, stories is where you, you know, engage the human component and emotion. Absolutely. Yeah. We say, you know, it's like the what and the why, right? The yeah. hard data gives you the what, the stories tell you the why. Mm -hmm. And I think there hasn't been a great way to combine both of them mm -hmm. um, in, in this industry really well. Um, and that's what I think we're really bringing to, to the market today. Yeah, that's great. How do you, how do you find your prospects? Yeah. I mean, we, we, um, have a couple different marketing channels. The two that work best for us right now is actually, um, our content and our paid ads. Um, and then uh, good old fashioned kind of, uh, uh, outbound as well. Yeah. Content and paid ads. Huh? We're so, yeah, I, I'm always, I'm always, I always kind of think, does that really make sense to do paid ads? So where are you advertising on Facebook, on, you know, the internet, like, you know, paid ads where? Instagram? LinkedIn and Google are two of our better performing channels there. Mm -hmm. I think with, with uh, Google, especially, obviously you get really high intent. So sure. these are mostly people that are looking to run specific research um, and, and are ready to get going which is one of the things in research is, is um, you know, if there's, if there's a compelling event, if there's something, a question that needs to be answered today, that makes it easier for us to bring them on as a customer. Um, and then LinkedIn, just because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of business professionals on it, obviously. I think one of the things that we've invested a lot in is actually our content. So, um, you know, yeah, quick plug for anyone listening, you know, we, we have all these reports on our, uh, on our website at gonit.com slash reports. We put out so much out there into the ecosystem and our hope is that it can be valuable for people. We want people to screenshot it, put it in their decks right. in their reports. Like we're totally cool sharing all that data. Um, and then hopefully when they think about their next research project, especially focus on this younger audience. Uh, we come to mind and, and are there as a resource for them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And listen, content is king. It really is. Um, and, and that's what I was going to ask you is where do you generally, is, is the content just on your website or are you, are you putting it else, putting it out on, you know, social channels, you know, like LinkedIn or, or in, you know, or are you, or, you know, do you have a team of people or PR that are placing it in professional journals or would that even be appropriate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do a little bit of everything, right? So all of it is available on our website. We'll then re kind of share or amplify it on social. Sure. Uh, we do have a PR team that, that gets it placed in, in, in places that make sense. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very kind of, uh, it's an effort that we invest a, a, a lot of time into. Um, because again, I think 
there's a huge need for this um, and people need to hear about it. And uh, we're happy to kind of be the person that that takes it out into the market and shares these insights and then hope that, uh, you know, uh, some of that good comes around to us as well. Do you consider yourself a disruptor? I definitely do. I think we I think we're I think we're doing two things really kind of disruptive in the market. Uh, one is we're focusing on disruptors as our as our audience, right? So, uh, you know, we're helping brands understand their disruptors. Um, and in some cases, like some of the industries we're working on, like we're like, these, this is a major challenge. Like if you take sports, for example, Gen Z is a huge, huge problem. We, we, we think about it as an opportunity, but it is a problem. The way they're kind of consuming sports is radically different than generations before us. So that I think that's one oper- uh, reason. And then the second is really around, um, again, that the what and the why. I think we're, it's not a new concept, but I think the way we're approaching it is, is, is fairly unique. Interesting. So how, how is Gen Z, so when you talk about sports, how are they consuming it that's different than, you know, someone, you know, a millennial or, you know, Gen X or, you know, a baby boomer. Yeah. So there's two key differences and I'm very much oversimplifying it, but, um, you know, we, we have a lot of this data on our website as well, but I think the two biggest differences, one, Gen Z doesn't watch sports through like broadcast anymore, um, a lot less Mm -hmm. than millennials. Yeah. On TV. Mm -hmm. So it's primarily through things like streaming and social media. Um, and then the second is they don't go to games as much in person. So the reason this is important is that's how the sports industry makes their money. That's right. (laughs) Broadcast deals, um, on the league level. And then on the team level, it's ticket sales. So, Mm -hmm. um, it is very important to, to understand, what this next generation is going to do and and how that's going to change how you monetize over the next 10 years. And so what we're seeing on the broadcast side is, you know, they're again, not watching it on TV. They are watching it on social media. They're streaming it. So how do you kind of monetize that um, differently? And then on the ticket side, they are not going to the games as much because they're going for different reasons. Now they're going for an experience, not necessarily to watch someone play. So how do you change the event experience there? So that's some of the cool work that we're doing there with, with awesome partners in this space, um, like NASCAR and the WNBA. I mean, it's been so much fun as a, uh, to, to work in the sports industry. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet it has. And, and that's, it's really fascinating because, you know, for me, I mean, my generation, I, I don't happen to particularly like to go to sports. I don't want to deal with traffic. I don't want to deal with parking. You know, I always say the only way, the only way you're going to get me to Broncos game is I'm in somebody's box with VIP parking, <laughs> you know, no, really, <laughs> really. <laughs> and, you know, I've had friends say, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I'm like, well, no, it's not. It's not how I want to spend my day. Right. So, you know, maybe I'm more, more like, uh, the Gen Zers in, in that way, but you know, it's, it's, it, it is a, it is an issue that. I mean, you know, you're looking at owners who are making billions of dollars and athletes who, you know, frankly, I don't want to start getting hate mail that are way overpaid, right? And I always say most of whom can't form a grammatically correct sentence in all sports, right? And, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, find the people that really want to patronize that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that we're seeing in sports is kind of the rise of the athlete. Um, so people are really passionate about their favorite players uh, in some cases, and it it's different for sports uh, than the team uh, that they're playing for. So one of the things that we're seeing is like, you know, these athletes are absolutely incredible and people want to know everything about them, um, what they're doing on the field, but also what they're doing off the field. What, what causes are they supporting? What, um, you know, what, like even down to like fashion, like what kind of shoes do they like? Um, you know, what do they wear at the big events of sure, the draft, yeah. um, for example? So, um, I'm very bullish on like, um, the, I think one thing that's going to happen over the next couple of years, uh, as, as Gen Z becomes, uh, you know, I guess they're already a largest population today, but as they become more and more important is kind of the rise of, uh, storytelling behind the athlete and what that mm. means for this. Industry. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're going to see some incredible athletes, uh, which I think, you know, these athletes just all have such great stories and, and we're going to see that come up more and more, um, and get to learn about it more and more over the next couple of years. So I'm really excited. That's what gets me pumped. Um, and, uh, I'm excited to kind of see how that evolves over the next few years. That's the whole story sell part, right? You know, when you can really exactly. get, when you can really get under finding out the story behind this human being, right. You know, are they just in it to make zillions of dollars and have bad behavior or are they, you know, really in it because of, you know, they've gotten their family out of poverty or, I mean, it could be, a, you know, any number of things. And yeah, you know, it's, it's that that gathers the emotion of other people. Exactly. Um, yeah. What would you say, um, you know, looking at knit, if you can, in, in an objective way, um, what makes you better than your competitors? Like, why does somebody want to come work for you? Yeah. So I think. You know, at the end of the day, I think we're we're all trying to solve a very similar problem. Um, I just think the way we're doing it is is the way that's going to make most sense for the market, and therefore why we're going to kind of um, really bring the most change to the market. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. one of the things I think is is really our kind of intense focus on this younger audience. Um, again, that kind of feeds into everything how we do everything, right? Like everything from how we um, recommend our customers ask questions to how we gather the feedback. Um, the second is really our ability to kind of combine that what and the why I think is going to be key to how brands run research um, in the last place. And then lastly, it's the technology. So we spent a lot of time thinking about how do you analyze data that's in video? Uh, it's not easy to do. Um, it's a very painful and manual process if you do it with that technology. So we kind of have to kind of uh, rethink and build from the ground up, like what does what does that look like in in, in the most ideal world? Um, so that's kind of I think at the end of the day, what what makes us unique um, and why I think we're we're an awesome company. Well, and, and not not only that, Anish, but you know you you have done what so many other smart founders have done, which is and and it it doesn't sound like it took you that long to get there, which is being really focused on who, you know, your, you want to call it an avatar, who your customer avatar is, right? And, you know, too many people go into it and think, well, we can, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. No, no, that's too much. Yeah. <laughs> Stay focused on where we know there's a problem that needs solving, you know, and maybe there's another problem that'll come up down the road, you know, when you have, when you have the, you know, the staff, the wherewithal to expand at that point, right? Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think uh, I think you might be giving me too much credit there, Carol, because it's been a long and winding journey to to get to where we are today. Obviously, I think a lot of a lot of the seeds for this idea started mm-hmm. back back when I was you know in in, in high school and college. You were a kid. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, on, absolutely. Your, you know, I mean, let's give let's let's at least put that out there. I mean, what did you know? You, you know, nobody knows anything at that age. I was yeah, I was definitely a lot younger back then. Yeah, but I think uh, you know, I think once we, I think it's just, like you said, it's, it's this problem that I've been and our team, really, a lot of us were kind of doing very similar things just mm-hmm. at different companies. And when we all came together and mm-hmm. brought our experiences together and, um, we're like, how do we solve this problem? Um, I think this is, this is the iteration that's really, really working for us. Is there any, uh, would you say outdated advice being disseminated in your industry? Like you should be done this way and you're like, oh no, that's totally, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, and I don't know if it's outdated or if like this type of research that we're bringing has just not really hit mainstream yet, which is part of the reason why we're doing this right now. Um, we're, we're hoping to be the ones to t- take it mainstream. I think there's like this idea of like quantitative and and qualitative data having to be separate. Um, like, hey, let's go run a large survey and then dig deeper in with focus groups or vice versa, right? Let's start off with some focus groups, better understand what's going on and then dig deeper with with the survey. I think one of the things that we are trying to bring to the market and, and trying to change, and there's a lot of other platforms doing this as well and doing an incredible job of this, um, is, is to make research more agile, right? Like how can we help you talk to your consumer, um, not only faster, but in a more iterative way so that it's not a one and done thing. Cool. We ran a market research study. It took us two months and now what? Like the, the, a lot of those, uh, a lot of things you're learning, especially if it's around Gen Z is probably outdated. Um, but rather, okay, cool. We talked to our customers like four times over the course of two months. Um, and, and here's kind of what we have learned in the process and how we built on top of that. So that's kind of, uh, uh, that's one thing that comes to mind. Yeah, that's great. So what would you say are the biggest opportunities and or threats today in the space? Yeah, I, I know I probably sound like a broken record, but I think video is such a huge opportunity. It is it is how people I think are going to talk in yep. in the future, Got it. Um, okay. and it just allows you to get so much more context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can't disagree. Biggest, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get emotion, it's, you get body language, you get all the stuff that you can't get accurately in the written word, you know, in a text or an email, absolutely, or even a phone call because you don't get to, you know you don't necessarily get to see somebody on a phone call. A hundred percent. And then I think the biggest threat actually is, is kind of related to this, which is the trust in the data, uh, which I think video solves a lot, right? Because a lot of the times with your kind of um, run of the mill survey, you don't really know who is on the other end answering that. Um, That's and right. There's some ways to take care of that through technology, which I think is, is, is incredible and very valid. But at the end of the day, when you can actually see someone's face um, and hear them talk, um, that I think just takes the trust to a whole another level. So um, I think those are kind of, 
I think that's the biggest threat kind of related to the opportunity there, which which is video can solve a lot of these problems. So Anish, I understand that uh, on your free time, you're a big traveler and you're an endurance sports competitor. You've been to over 20 countries, which is pretty good at your age. Um, and an Ironman 70.3 finisher, which I need you to tell me what that is. And you know, you love to swim yeah. and wrestle and that you want to travel, you know, your, your personal dream is to travel and compete in an Ironman in an Ironman on on each continent. So, what is a seventy point three finisher? First of all, yeah. So the Ironman, the the kind of original one, um, or, or the one most people talk about, is is the full one. Um, that's one hundred forty point six. Um, so that's like mm. the collective miles you bike gotcha. and run. Gotcha. Okay. bike and run. Um, 70.3 is just half of that. So, um, Got it. it was, uh, it was a half Ironman, half the uh, bike, half the run, half the swim. But yeah. So I just got right. my, well, I guess it's been a few years now since I did the first one. I've done, uh, two of them now, um, currently training for my, for my third one, uh, which was, which, uh, was the full, um, uh, in this case. So got into, got into triathlons a couple of years ago, actually around when I started the company, but, mm-hmm. um, it's been, a been a great way to kind of get some time to to myself where i'm forced not to be in front of my phone or my computer and and have some time um to yeah. kind of think through on my own yeah and and, and that i'm glad you mentioned that because you know uh anybody uh, anybody who's ever been around startups knows the amount of work it takes so where are you making the time to do that yeah. To take that time. Um, I mean, you have to make the time to do it, but you know, what kind of time are we talking about? And what does your day look like to be able to, to be able to get that in? Yeah. Yeah. So when I'm training, um, uh, it's usually in the mornings and in the evenings and the weekends. So, um, I wake up really early, um, uh, most days, um, and, uh, and, and try to get a workout in before going to work. Um, and then one, um, on my, on my way back, um, and then on the weekends is when I'll do some of my longer workouts, uh, yeah. just cause you know, you have the entire day to, to, uh, work out and then, um, kind of decompress from it. Yeah. Great. So if, uh, somebody that is listening to this thinks, oh, this is an interesting company. I'd, l- I'd like to investigate working for them. What would you recommend that they do? Yeah, I would say that our website is the best place, um, regardless of how you want to engage with us, whether you're interested in using us for research, mm-hmm. want to check out some of our open careers, just want to check out mm-hmm. some of our data, um, mm-hmm. go to gonit.com, okay. uh, www.gonit.com. Um, yeah, we have all of our, uh, all, a lot of our reports we make public there. Um, it has links to all of our social and, and we'll also post our open roles um, on our website as well. Okay. And, and they won't get caught and uh, lost in a black hole of nobody responding? Yeah, no, they will not. Thing. We will. We we usually get back to people within within twenty four okay. hours. So uh, we like to keep it super super quick, and then we have a live chat on our on our website Fantastic. as well to help out uh, with more kind of urgent. So, Anisha, is there anything that I haven't asked you in this conversation that you want to talk about or say? Anything I missed? No, Carol. <laughs> I think you did a great job covering it. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is awesome. Uh, really appreciate. Your time today and 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 for inviting me to the podcast. This is well, a really Anish fun Dewan, conversation. Anish Dewan, co-founder and CEO of Knit. It was my pleasure to have you today. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. 
If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.